Flying Coach is back for a second season. Peter Schrager and Rams head coach Sean McVay are joined by guests from around the sports and entertainment world. They're discussing the latest NFL news, telling stories from their careers, and breaking down games from their unique perspectives. Check out Flying Coach Season 2 on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with Fandle, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Coming up on New York, New York, the best words in all sports. Game seven. Not if you're an F fan, though. Oh, baby. We got a game seven on Saturday night. We got you covered there. I'm fired up. The Yankees showing serious signs of life and doing the little things in the process. I know. What a concept. We'll have Johnny Franco try to get to the bottom of what's going on with the Grom and Spider Attack and all that craziness. And it was a good week for the Mets. The Islanders are in some trouble. And we got you covered every which way. Voicemails, Jared Smith's going to handicap the U.S. Open and the NBA. All that more. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. It's coming up next. All righty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in. Friday edition of New York, New York. With you, it's truly John Jastrzemski right here. On the Ringer Podcast Network. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Guess what, boys and girls? We have the best phrase you could ever say in sports in our backyard on Saturday night. Game seven. Game freaking seven. Not at the Milwaukee Bucks. Have shown a little chutzpah. Have shown a little resiliency. And have found a way to extend this series defending their home court. And for those of you who are Vegas guys and gals. And even though my picks in the NBA over the last week would not indicate as such. I am one of those guys. That is something that is near and dear to my heart. Sometimes you can look at a line. And see drastic movement. And it tells a story. This line between Brooklyn and Milwaukee did exactly that. It moved about three points with everybody in the world pounding the Brooklyn Nets. Milwaukee played like the team that season was on the line. Brooklyn 
did not. I didn't get the sense that their defensive intensity, which we've seen at times throughout this series, was where it needed to be. It felt like everything was just happening way too easily for Giannis and company. With the way Giannis was getting in the paint, attacking, and what a concept, by the way, for Mike Butenholzer and company. Get Giannis's ass down low. He is not a shooter. He is not Kevin Durant. He is not Steph Curry. Get him in the low block and let him work. You saw that today, and he had great success. Giannis giving you 30 and 17, and Middleton was incredible. Middleton gives you 38 and 10. Milwaukee's role players, sure, a lot more confident, a lot more comfortable playing in their home arena. You didn't get, from a net standpoint, the same sort of game you got out of James, or not out of James Harden, out of Jeff Green in game five, where Jeff Green hit everything in sight. Didn't get that version of Jeff Green. Harden, it took him a while to get going. And that was the great overarching question from, you know, the national talking media, talking head types. Reggie even fired off an ill-advised tweet. I like Reggie, despite the, you know, love-hate nature with the Knicks. I actually like Reggie. Uh, I'm in the minority on that, but I like Reggie on television. I actually think he does a pretty good job. But I thought his tweet about the idea of sitting Durant and sitting Harden when you have a chance to eliminate a team is embarrassing. And I think somebody countered Reggie's tweet. Might have been Mark Spears over at ESPN because I follow him on Twitter. And he basically said, would you have sat out? Come on, man. I mean, I see this sort of shit and it drives me insane. Like, not that I am Kevin Durant or James Harden or any of these guys. In the postseason, and I had a chance to go for the throat and eliminate somebody, you'd you'd have to drag me off that basketball court. You'd have to, like, drag me, take me by the neck, take my shoes, do whatever the hell you got to do. I ain't leaving the court. So, thankfully, Marks, Nash, and everybody on board said, we're playing our guys. And that brings me to James Harden. He was better tonight than he was in Game 5. It's not saying much. Because you still saw that sort of hesitancy. A couple of times on a fast break where Harden gets out in the transition normally, he is attacking that rim. Or he is popping a three without hesitation. Kind of seems uneasy on that hammy. So maybe another game and another day off, and he looks that much better. But I think no matter what you get in Game 7, You're getting a compromised Harden. I don't expect to see Kyrie Irving. So what does that mean? It means Kevin Durant has got to put on the Superman cape. And look, you look at his numbers. He had a great third quarter. Shot 50% from the field. and He gave you 32 and 11. I got to be honest, folks. And that's what we do on this show. We're always honest. Whether you like it or not. You need a lot more than 32 points from Durant if you're going to win game seven. You need a lot more. And what would scare me from a net perspective, you know what would scare me? Kevin Durant could not have played a better game five. It's the performance of his career. Fair to say? Jeff Green could not have played a better game five. One of the performances of his NBA career as a role player. 
the Nets barely won that basketball game. Barely. Are you getting, especially from KD, that same effort? I'll give you guys got to step up for Brooklyn. They're going to win game seven at home. Joe Harris, who showed at least some sense of life, hitting a couple of shots late in the game. Harris got to be better than one of four from three. I'm sorry. Right now, he looks tentative. He looks passive. He's got to be better. I know Milwaukee can devote more attention to him with Kyrie Irving not being on the floor. He's got to be better. Because otherwise, where's the punch and where's the sizzle coming from this Brooklyn team outside of KD? Those role players, whether it's a Griffin, a Harris, a Brown if he's given an opportunity, somebody's got to make some shots. And I don't trust Milwaukee. Not in the least. I don't trust the head coach. I don't trust the makeup of the team. From a talent standpoint, though, without Kyrie Irving being there and with Horn being compromised, they're a more talented team. Doesn't mean they're going to win. Doesn't mean they have the sort of guts, toughness, whatever you want to call it, to go and win a game seven on the road. They're a healthier team right now, and it's showing. So you got all this reaction, all this craziness going on, and I'm fired up. A couple game sixes Friday night, game seven on Saturday. I mean, that gets the juices flowing. You know what else gets the juices flowing? The Yankees sweeping the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, I think many of you were wondering, JJ, you back. I'm not there yet. But you got to start somewhere. What the Yankees did over the last three games does not eradicate the weekend in Philadelphia. It does not uh, eliminate what happened against Tampa and Boston and the predicament that they're in where they're still ways behind both Tampa and Boston and this division. Yeah, that's, that's still a reality for this team. But you got to start somewhere, and it starts against a team that's basically neck and neck with you, super talented offensively, but yet they're lacking in the pitching department. But they're not lacking in confidence in beating you over the course of this year, last year, and the year before that. Yankees have had terrible, terrible success taking on the Blue Jays. To go and sweep this series with a couple of gut-check kind of wins I think it's a great step in the right direction. And this particular game tonight, I mean, everybody's going to be on and on. My jaw is still dropped, quite frankly, when it comes to the catch that Aaron Judge made in right field. Super athleticism. Saved the game. I mean, basically kept Toronto at bay for the Yankees to go and pull off a comeback. And it made up for the fact that Andujar misplayed a ball out in the outfield. Gary Sanchez ended up costing the Yankees a run. Yankees flushed an early lead down the toilet. Resiliency is something we haven't seen enough out of the Yankees in this 2021 year. Too many of these games, they get hit in the mouth, they die like dogs. Judge's catch sparked them. John Carlos Stanton, give credit where credit is due. Big home run. That's not one of those home runs that's a stat patter. No, 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 no. That's a big home run giving the Yankees the lead. Gittins coming off the bench. Big pinch hit. That's winning baseball. How about the Yankees dropping down a bunt with Gardner and then seeing Gittins come through, boom, giving you a little bit of insurance. That's what winning baseball teams do. 
And I'm not one of these guys that drools, oh, you got a bunch, you got a bunch, you got a bunch. But you need to be able to play situational baseball. And the Yankees, that's been their bugaboo and their problem for a long, long time. So when I see it, it gets me going. I get more juiced up and I get more turned on to moving a runner over, dropping a bunt down, sacrifice fly, two out hit. I know that stuff ain't sexy. Well, guess what? It's sexy in my book. And if you're a Yankee fan, it better be sexy. Yeah, I've seen the Yankees hit thousands of home runs. Whoop the bell. Now, the judge catch, I got to admit, that was pretty sexy. Defense, too. I'm throwing that in the equation. Those little things, though, they win you baseball games. This is a great week for the Yankees. Don't spoil the party now when you play the Oakland A's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oakland's a damn good team. They know how to pitch, and they know how to hit the ball out of the ballpark. The Yankees have had a lot of success historically against the A's at Yankee Stadium. Well, you're going to have a packed house, walking crowd, going up against a former Yankee farmhand in James Caprillion, who, remember, was in the sunny gray trade many moons ago. He's had a lot of setbacks. He's had a lot of injuries. He's pitching great this year. I know. I own him on my fantasy team. It's been terrific. Absolutely terrific. Keep winning series. With the schedule easing up right before that Mets series, 4th of July weekend, go make another statement. I don't need to sweep this weekend. Go take two out of three from Oakland. So all in all, hell of a week for the Yankees, and they needed it. They needed it. You sweep a team that's on you. You do a lot of little things. Guys step up, and you turn another triple play. Hard to believe the Yankees have turned two triple plays this year. This is a wacky one. Super, super wacky. But like this week as a whole, you're going to take it. Jam-packed show. I mean, we did the Nets and the Yankees right out of the gate. It was a good week for the Mets. And that's why I didn't want to come on ragging on the Mets. We're not going to do that here. They won three out of four. They took two out of three from the Padres. Right now, they're in cruise control in the National League East. So we'll recap what's been a good week for the Mets. We'll get to the Islanders. And it's amazing how a particular penalty can change everything about the fortunes of a game. And you hope if you're an Islander fan, it doesn't change the entire fortunes of this series taking on Tampa. So we have you covered there. We'll have Johnny Franco a little bit later on, who's going to join us. I love Johnny Franco. Brooklyn guy, Staten Island guy, great Met reliever. And I want to get to the bottom of what's going on with these pitchers now that they got to make some adjustments. But before we have Johnny Franco on the show, Let's do calls right out of the gate. So we're changing the order up a little bit. So he doesn't even know we're going to do this. We're going to do calls with the voicemails and you guys rocking and rolling. Then we'll hear from Johnny Franco. We'll set the stage for the Mets and the Islanders. Yeah, we're all over the place, baby. We're, we're on a different wavelength tonight. It's Friday show. Anything can happen. Coming up next, you crazy people. Right after this. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my Taste Buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. So Thursday night was a tough night for the Nets. Tough night. 
Didn't get the bats going. Had no answer for Kyle Hendricks. Couple of bad at bats, and you get shut out and you lose two to nothing. It's tough for me to be belly aching, saying, Woe is me if I'm a Met fan. When on this homestand against two plus 500 teams in the National League, Padres, one of the better teams in the National League, Cubs, who have been a surprise so far this year, you take two or three from San Diego, you take three or four from the Cubs. There's no belly aching about this homestand. The Mets did a wonderful, wonderful job. The question that is going to be looming over the New York Mets, and we talked about this yesterday on our post-Ace Night Spotify green room. By the way, locker room, in case you've missed all the attention of the last 24 to 48 hours. And, you know, the folks over at the Ringer, I mean, they've been cooking with locker room shows, I, or Spotify green room shows. I, I like to think that I was ahead of the curve on this. Even though I didn't create the technology, I feel like I was kind of a pioneer doing the grunt work for a lot of this stuff when, you know, the heavy hitters are kind of laying in the weeds. Well, now the, now the heavy hitters are coming out, okay? And, and maybe one day I will be mentioning myself as a heavy hitter. And I do think very highly of myself. But, you know, we got some heavy hitters here at the ringer. That's why I joined an all-star team. That's why I got to be okay batting sixth to seventh in the lineup. Why do I go on this little tangent? I go on this little tangent because we did our green room last night on the DeGrom injury. And if you're the New York Mets, even if he's telling you he's fine and he's okay and he's all good, he needs to miss a starter tail. You're cooking right now in the National League East. You got a ton of wiggle room. You got a massive lead in the loss column. You could be cautious. DeGrom is going to be one of those guys, and I respect the hell out of him for this, that's going to tell you he's fine no matter what. He's going to be like, I'm good, no big deal, nothing to worry about. I don't want to make this problem worse. So take a start or two off, give him a week, week and a half, and then see where we're at. My fear for the Mets is DeGrom's going to be out there making his next start, and he's going to be out after three or four innings, and I'm going to be screaming, saying, well, what in the world are we doing? That would be my concern at this point with the Mets. Remember, you're getting Jeff McNeil back. You're getting Michael Conforto back. It's going to be interesting to see how Louis Rojas manages the lineup with guys returning. For example, somebody like Jonathan Villar, I'm sorry. He's got to play. And if that means J.D. Davis is a platoon player, so be it. I'll give you another guy has got to play. Ken Pollard has got to play. I love everything that that guy brings to the table. And back in February and March, I am going to toot my own horn a little bit. I told the Mets, go sign Pollard. You're going to love him. Fan base is going to love him. Tough as nails. Nimmo comes back. Conforto comes back. To me, a guy like Dominic Smith is going to lose some playing time. Ken Pollard needs to play. These are tough decisions. But I always say, you'd rather be making these decisions with a lot of guys to choose from as opposed to the other way around where it's like, well, holy shit, who the hell am I going to play? You don't want that. So I expect the Mets to keep on keeping on against a bad national team that will not have Scherzer over the weekend. So no Scherzer over the weekend. You got four games in three days. Go take three out of four. I could live with a split, but go take three out of four. The other story in town, before we get to the voicemails, tough one for the Islanders tonight. Now, they got outplayed. They deserve to lose to Tampa. They had a dreadful third period, might I add. 
I mean, it felt like over the final 10, 11 minutes of that third period, there was just nothing cooking for the Isles. He was the killer in this game. They score the game-tying goal. The barn is rocking. It's one apiece. I'm doing a little dance. I might have had a few bucks on the Islanders tonight. So I was fired up. The Pellock penalty. It can't happen. Right after you score a goal, you cannot be committing a penalty that's ill-advised, that's stupid, that is a killer for your team. Pellock commits that penalty, and boom, what happens? Tampa attacks, scores a goal, and it felt like all of the momentum that you just took away from Tampa Bay and tying the game went right back to the Lightning. Sometimes games in the Stanley Cup playoffs can change on a dime. That penalty, in many ways, changed the entire fortune of Game 3. Tough loss. The Islanders were down two games to one against the Boston Bruins. By no means is this series over yet. But I'm going to tell you this. The Islanders are going to win this series. Saturday night, Game 4 is a must. Because Tampa's the more talented team. That's not an insult to the Islanders. That's just acknowledging the facts. Tampa won the Stanley Cup last year. Tampa knocked the Islanders out of the playoffs last year. They're really, really good. You're not beating this team three games in a row. Down three games to one. That is not happening. You may be delusional. You may sucker yourself into it. Remember I said this. They're not winning three straight games down 3-1. Don't see it. That means you got to get Saturday night. And we were talking about momentum in game three. And Tampa ended up scoring the first goal. He took it back for a hot second and it was gone. You got to come out firing early. And we've seen this with teams when they know they have a game to play with. No one, they're going back to their own building. You get off to an early lead. Sometimes you're thinking about that flight. You're thinking about, all right, we're 2-2. We're right where we need to be. We'll get them at home. That's the position you want to be if you're Barry Chotts and the New York Islanders. Not when you're down 2-0 after the first period because then you're in a whole lot of hot water. So we had a lot to cover right out of the gate. I promised you guys voicemails. And in case you're wondering how to get in touch with the show, so our voicemail line, if you are new to New York, New York, or you listen all the time and you just don't know how to get in touch with the show, it's very easy. 917 382-1151. That's how you get in touch with New York, New York. You leave your voicemail, you go from there. Now remember, live show, Saturday night, probably in that 11-15, range, because I got to get pretty and do some television. So right after I do some TV, I'm hopping on Spotify Green Room, the old locker room app. Download the app, live calls, live interaction. Download it on your phone. Update it now so you're ready to go on Saturday. And we'll be cooking and we'll be rocking and rolling. So that is our programming agenda, I guess you could say. You know, uh, thankfully, I have everything up here. So Rudy will remind me of what I need to know. And that's why he is a stud for many, many reasons. But it's amazing. You know, I, I, I think about shows where like every like two or three minutes, They know, like, oh, you have to talk about this. No, 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 you have to talk about that. Oh, you got to do this. You got to do that. If I lived in that world, the window that is to the left of me, I'd be jumping from. Because that's just, that's not how I operate. I mean, imagine trying to do a show with a co-host. 
and the co-host knows what you're going to say. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You put me in that position. I'm running for the hills. Literally. Anyway, voicemail time. We are ready to rock. I know you guys got a little extra energy about you on a Friday. So, let's get a move on. Who's up? Hey, JJ. Shop Long Island. Live from outside Nassau Coliseum. Unfortunately, way more somber than last time I called you after the clincher against the Bruins. But um, there's just lost to go down 2-1. to one. But, you know, listen, I feel like all three goals scored tonight by both teams were just, you know, whatever goals. Um, they're sure they could skate with them. They could play with them. But bottom line is, Vasilevsky's a beast in net. And you got to get something by him. You know, so pipe dream was, you know, if you win all the games at the Coliseum, you're going to the Stanley Cup Finals. That has now changed a little bit. You're going to win one in Tampa now. But nevertheless, hopefully, they come back Saturday strong. But uh, really frustrating game. And proud of the boys. They showed heart. They showed grit. But um, really brutal results because that game-winning goal was just so whatever. But keep the faith, brother. Keep the faith. Let's go Islanders, and uh, we'll get on Saturday. Take care, bud. You know, I'm bummed out. Hearing Sean all dejected and down in the dumps. Because the last time I think we heard from Sean, he's like hooting and hollering. He's leaving the Coliseum. He might have been funneling a beer, which is too finer for all we know. So I don't like hearing this side of Sean. It kind of is putting a downer on the mood, which is not what I need at this point in time. The Islanders can absolutely skate with this team. That has not been my takeaway in the least, watching these games like over the first three where it's like, wow. The Islanders can't play with these boys. They can play with them. But your margin for error is super, super slim. You get a game-tying goal, you cannot go in a penalty box basically a minute later. I'm sorry. That's, that's killer. Because then you give up a goal, all of a sudden, your momentum is out the window. And the Islanders play hard. They play hard every night. Their scoring chances over the final 10 minutes, not existent. Got to be better. Got to be better if this is going to be a 2-2 series going back to South Florida or Western Florida. I don't even know if we call Tampa South Florida. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. Who the hell knows? You know, I've never been to Tampa. Miami a bunch of times. And I'm not going to Tampa this year. Dolphins, Buccaneers, and I, I've seen Brady torment my team enough. I'll pass on that. Who's up next? Jage, it's Sean from Long Island. Thursday afternoon. 75 degrees. The sun is shining. Springsteen has a great recording out with the killers that came out yesterday. And our New York Yankees have finally shown some fucking grit. Clint Frazier, the Red Rocket himself, who has shown, who, who has posted more Instagram than his pediatrician girlfriend. By the way, congratulations to her. I think she just finished med school. That he's gotten big hits all season. Gets the go-ahead hit on Tuesday night, after we were down 5-2. And last night, Gary Sanchez hit the home run to the moon. Watch out, Jage. I'm starting to believe in this team. I think this team, if they can maintain this energy, they can do it. They can get this season back on track. Let's do this. Let's believe. Let's go, Yankees. I like a little positivity right there. After the downer call to start it, I like a little Yankee positivity because I've been beaten down, quite frankly, by the team and by the negativity. And I stand by my words on what I said over the first two, two and a half months of the year. They've been a monumental flop and a monumental disappointment. It's got to start somewhere. 
I hope we look back on this Toronto series as a turning point. I really do. And I like the way they won these games. I think you bring up a very good point. Resilient. Coming back. They were down Tuesday night. They won the game. They were down Wednesday night. Sanchez wins the game. They're down Thursday. Stanton gives you the home run. Judge makes the big catch. This is the sort of stuff you need if you're going to turn your season around. It's not just about one series. It's got to be an extended period of quality baseball. The Yankees got to go rattle off a nice 15-5 stretch. They're capable. Of course they're capable. Bad teams are capable of rattling off 15 out of 20. And after the A's come to town, the schedule for the Yankees eases up. With the exception of that Red Sox series, exception of the Mets series, they got a lot of winnable games between now and the All-Star break. Got to go to work. It's no longer the point where you say, oh, it's, it's June the 17th, but, but, but. No, it, it's time to go. Great week. Go win another series. You want to keep people engaged and into this Yankee year, and you want to have packed houses in the summertime and in October. And trust me, I'll be out there. We'll be doing a show from the bodega as far as I'm concerned. Wait till I introduce Saruti to the bodega. He will have no idea what he is in for. It is quite the treat. That is the best place to pregame up in the Bronx. And I will be up there. We'll have to bring the recording stuff, maybe do a live show before and, you know, sound crazy and the shenanigans. Well, just nature is healing, you know. Bodega, hopefully the Yankees back to winning ways. That's nature healing for John Chistrensky. Who's up next? Hey, JJ. Eric down in Florida. Boone, stop always going with the damn analytics. You don't need to do that. Let your guys work through issues. There's no reason King shouldn't have pitched the rest of that fifth inning. And then Miggy uh, misplays the ball in the outfield. Tie game. Now this thing's up in the air. Take it easy. Normally, I'm the leader of the fan club of killing Aaron Boone. I got to give Aaron Boone a pass here for the way that fifth inning was handled. Michael King is not Domingo Herman. Michael King is not Jordan Montgomery. You're not pushing him past five probably Anyway, he was not great in this game. Yeah, it's one base runner. You don't want to go nuts. If Andahar makes the catch out in the outfield, we're not having this discussion. And I also got to give the Yankee manager some credit for a couple of hunch moves that he made over the last couple of days. Sending up Clint Frazier. It worked out. Sending up Sanchez, which is a no-brainer, by the way. I mean, now with the way Gary is hitting once again, no knock on Higgy, who deserved playing time earlier in the year. That ship is now sailed. Higgy catches Garrett Cole. That's it. That's the only time he is going to play. And late in games, now Gary's going to get those opportunities to hit. I loved Booney pinch hitting Sanchez. Gives you the go-ahead homer. And then he sends up Giddens, who got a big hit. And thankfully, the Yankees had Brett going to drop a bunt down. Situational baseball. Again, doing little things turns me on. More so than the long ball. Remember that old saying, chicks dig the long ball? No, no. JJ digs the little things. That's right. Who's up next? JJ, Phil from Syracuse. I uh, want to talk about the Yanks real quick. I know there's a ton of different issues with the team from top to bottom. But one thing I haven't heard anyone address yet 
is how fucking atrocious we have been at drafting guys. And I know that the MLB draft more so than other sports is just a total crapshoot. You don't know what you're getting. But if you look around the league at all the good teams in the league, they have guys contributing who they drafted. The Dodgers are the best team in baseball. They could sign whoever they want. They could trade for whoever they want. They have Gavin Lux plays every single day for them as a, as a young, promising infielder. We decided to take Blake Rutherford over him. No idea where the fuck he is now. And Walker Buehler's their ace. They drafted him two picks after we took James Caprillion. Like, it's just bonkers to me that this hasn't been addressed. I guess I like we're good with international signings, but are we ever going to hit on a fucking draft pick? I swear to God, I think Judge is the only player in the entire roster who we drafted. It's just bizarre to me. Like, at some point, we have to get something right. We can't just hire mercenaries to fill every position. When are we ever going to fucking draft a guy? All right, JJ, all the love. I think that's fair, Phil. I, I do. Now, one thing I'm going to say about Rutherford and Caprillion, the Yankees used those two guys to help their 2017 team. Remember, in 2017, you brought in Kingley, Todd Frazier, and David Robertson. Yankees don't go to Game 7 of the LCS without Robertson, Kingley, and Frazier. All three of those guys were terrific. Rutherford is who you traded. Caprillion didn't work out necessarily because Sonny Gray ended up being a total stiff and couldn't handle the magnitude of pitching in New York, but it was a trade you made to try to go for it in 2017. So there are issues that the Yankees have had as far as drafting. And you look up and down this team, there are not enough guys who are part of, you know, the scouting department and Brian Cashman's draft success. Aaron Judge is Brett Gardner's from another lifetime ago, and he's totally shot as a player. Internationally, the Yankees have done better. And Duhar, Gary Sanchez, Severino, etc. They got to draft better. I'm not going to fight you on that. I think that's totally fair. Who's up next? What's going on, John? This is uh, Stuart from Brooklyn. I'm I'm. I'm just so fucking fed up with this uh, Met team, you know, for taking the unnecessary risk with the best player in the game in 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 Jacob in Jacob uh, Degrom. This this one game just isn't important important enough to take the chance. It just fucking pisses me off. I mean, Ron Darling made made a good point. He, he said shutting him down for a couple of weeks could have solved the uh, tendonitis. And we saw Syndergaard, and he said he was fine, and he went out in his next start and left with a sore shoulder, and that caused him a a season plus. Stuart, I feel your pain with DeGrom. He's having a special year. He's a special talent. You want him out there every fifth day. And I know because of how beaten down you have been over the years, and many other Mets fans have been over the years, you're like waiting maybe in some way for that other shoe to drop. This is a new group. This is a new regime. I agree. The ground should be shut down for a week or two. Play safe. You're not in a position where you're desperate. You're not desperate at this point if you're the Mets. You're in great shape. You've survived the fact that there are a whole lot of guys on this team who have missed a ton of time. The biggest fear to me is fighting the competitive spirit and nature of DeGrom who wants to be out there. Give him a ball for a week or two. Get right. Get to where you need to be and let DeGrom pick up this Cy Young MVP season as soon as he comes back. As soon as he comes back. Who's up next? Hey, JJ. Nick and Fresh Meadows here. Oh, just want to talk a little bit Mets. Uh, You know, since we're the winning team in town, I'm not really 
sure uh, about Carrasco. I'm not really sure about Syndergaard. So I was looking to see who we could target in a trade for a little starting pitching depth. I was thinking, uh, you know, Max Scherzer, he might be available, but it's going to be hard trading in the division. I hear talk of John Gray from the Rockies. Eh, doesn't really do it for me. Just wanted to know uh, what you think about it. Who, we sh- who should we target? All right, JJ. Take it easy, buddy. Well, I'm going to silence you right there on the Scherzer rumors. There's not a chance in hell Scherzer's going to be a mess. There's just not. The Nationals are not trading Scherzer in the Mets. They may trade him at the deadline. They trade him out of the division. That's number one. John Gray is an interesting name. Marquez is the name that you hear a lot with Colorado. I mean, you got to look at teams that are bad. Think about Arizona and who they're lining up. Now, that Bumgarner contract is outrageous, and Bumgarner looks totally shot. But find the bad teams. Identify the pitchers who are on those bad teams that are worthwhile and take it from there. I'll give you a guy. I'll give you a guy. He ain't a sexy name, and he pitched here in town. Jay Hat with the Minnesota Twins. For a back-end rotation piece, he's durable. He goes out and pitches every fifth day. Now, you hope Carrasco and Syndergaard come back where a guy like Hat is pitching out of a bullpen in the postseason, and he ain't going to bitch about pitching in the postseason bullpen for the Mets if they get their two guys back, because they don't have a place in the rotation. But these are the sort of names you got to think about. Last but not least, fire up bunch. Who's going to close it out? Hey, man, this is Jack from Westchester. Uh, I'm asking this question kind of intentionally because I really want to listen to Thursday's pod, but there's just like a limit to how much Nets and Islanders this this uh, Knicks and Rangers fan can take. So I'm just curious with uh, this is first to Rudy. What's it like? You listen to these dumbass questions and sift through just piles of uh, of nonsense. Like there are times when I'll call, my kid will start screaming in the middle, and I'll be like, "All right, I'll call you back." And you got to just listen to that and not put it on. But it takes like a minute of your time. Um, your workload has probably gone like like crazy. I'm curious, man. I'm curious, what's it like to hear all these wild New York fans just uh, and, and sift through them? Take it easy, guys. Well, I'm gonna cede the floor to Mr. Cerruti, who now has been on the gig with me after working with the great Ryan Russillo. And, you know, you got Russillo and you got all his wonderful elements that he brings to the podcast. And then you got all my crazy people, Saruti. So have they driven you to drink yet is what I want to know. No, I, I love Jack Good. asking this question because my wife will attest to this. Like, I'll be sitting on the couch listening to voicemails just like, you know, during games and stuff before we tape. And I'll just start laughing out loud. And she's like, what the hell are you laughing at? I'm like, this call is just amazing. It's hilarious. And you know me, JJ. Like, I let most of this stuff fly. Like, you could swear. You could. I've only really, like, not, you know, allowed probably maybe two or three calls because of vulgarity or different things on the air. So I pretty much let everything fly. But I will say my the one favorite thing uh, about listening to voicemails, and this happens way more than you think it would, is the guy that calls up and gets really nervous and flustered and then hangs up. So he'll call and be like, hey, JJ, it's so-and-so from blah, 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 you know, first-time caller. Uh, oh, oh, shit. And then they just immediately hang up. I you love that guy. You may have to play one of those for me <laughs> at, at some point. You know, maybe surprise me one of these days. Add it on to the voicemail tally, and then we take it from there. And so, Rudy, just for anybody who's out there listening to the show who thinks that I am the one, like, cherry-picking these voicemails and I know what's going on, 
You can attest that I have not listened to one of these nope. voicemails before the fact. Not one. Nope. All you you want to go in blind, which I, which is I think the way you should do it. Just like talk radio style. Like we don't want to tip you on anything. We want people to catch you and keep you on your toes. So yeah, you don't listen to anything. Sometimes I'll tell you like, hey, this topic is coming up or something, but I won't tell you what the call is. Um, but yeah, we get about one of those calls a week, by the way. So I should I should be able to get one in the future pretty soon. I like it. We'll put it on the agenda for Sunday. There I like go. it. I like it. So a stellar job by everybody with the voicemails. Remember, we got a green room show on Saturday, live calls, Sunday, New York, New York podcast. So we're going to have a very, very busy weekend. Coming up next, Mr. New York himself, longtime Met, terrific all-star reliever, had a great career in town. He's a local legend. The great Johnny Franco talks to Met baseball and I want to get a sense. Was he a spider tack guy? I doubt it. Johnny's coming up next. With Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot, you can upgrade your home with up to $2,400 off select kitchen packages from top brands like Maytag. Enhance your kitchen with the exclusive Maytag French door refrigerator and fingerprint resistant stainless steel only at the Home Depot. And with dual power filtration on the Maytag tall tub dishwasher, you can skip soaking and scrubbing. Right now, get Memorial Day savings up to $2,400 off select kitchen packages at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Pricing valid May 16th through June 5th. U.S. only. See store online for details. We're welcoming in a guy I know very well. He's Mets royalty. He's New York City royalty. And maybe he can help me get to the bottom of what's going on with this spider attack and all this <laughs> substance nonsense. The great Johnny Franco. What's up, Johnny? What's going on, JJ? How you doing? Johnny, I'm doing well. Let's start here. All these guys now bellyaching, bitching, and moaning about taking away substances, pine tar, spider attack. Your guy pitched forever. Was this something you needed? Were you a guy that was very much about the sticky stuff or did it really not matter a whole lot to you? Uh, me personally, it didn't matter. Um, my, my thing that I used to do is I used to put two pieces of bazooka bubblegum in my mouth and from the sugar of the bubblegum, I used to just lick my fingers and that was sticky enough for me. Uh, that's, there's nothing illegal about that. No one has said that about this. Uh, I have played with guys, and uh, I'm sure there have been guys who've used pine tar and rosin and all kinds of stuff to to help them grip the ball. But, uh, you know, now it's all out in the forefront now, and uh, who the heck knows why these guys are complaining and why Major Major League Baseball decided to do it now. Well, that's my thing, Johnny, right? Like, you have a routine if you're a pitcher. Glass now was talking about it. You know, I use this stuff. It helps me grip the ball. That way I can throw, you know, something that's crazy unnatural. 97 with all sorts of movement. And then to make this change two, two and a half months into the year, if I'm a pitcher, I'm a player, I'm losing my mind over this, dude. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really surprised that the, uh, the Players Association, uh, the union didn't fight a little bit more. Uh, maybe, maybe to get it done at the end of the season rather than the middle of the season, the first three months of the season. Uh, you know, it might benefit a lot of guys. It might not help other guys. Uh, it's, it's all on the individual guys who who have used it before and uh, guys who haven't used it before are going to try to use it. But, uh, you know, I think it's all mentally also, too. You know, uh, guys use, guys didn't use this stuff when they were in college or in the minor leagues. So uh, now they get to the big leagues and now they find out that they gets a better grip or doesn't get a better grip. The spin rate's higher, spin rate's lower. Uh, it could be a mental thing, too. It's pretty crazy thinking about baseball now, Johnny, from when you were pitching for the Mets, and now all these, like, 
analytic terms, launch angle, spin rate, like, and the front office is druid. And, you know, I don't want to seem out of touch and say that the analytics don't matter because they do. And the team's doing it the right way, kind of balance it. But like these changes that you're seeing in baseball, do they bother you as a guy who played, you know, a couple of years ago and you see it on the forefront, like the idea that guys can't move a runner over and the insane amount of strikeouts. Like to me, I, I, I watch it, Johnny, and it ticks me off. Yeah, it drives me a little bit crazy. I, I understand the analytics. I think some of it's good, but I also do feel that the manager has to have that gut, that feeling to trust his guys in a certain situation. The art of bunting has gone out the window, uh, hit and run. Even steals uh, aren't up like they used to. Uh, just the little things in baseball that uh, got us to, you know, when years ago when guys played, uh, uh, you know, Lou Brocks, the Ricky Henderson stealing bases, the Maury Wills, who, who, who was a great punt, is, uh, uh, you know, late in the game when you need somebody to lay a bunt down, they can't do it. Uh, it. It just drives me crazy. The analytics, I understand. Sometimes, uh, sometimes they might overshift. I know if I'm pitching and they're shifting way – way to the to the left or the right, and I'm pitching a guy outside and he hits it through that hole over there, I'm going to be a little bit annoyed that there's nobody there, whether it usually be a shortstop or a second baseman. Uh, I feel sometimes when you're pitching to a lefty and they have that big shift on and you're pitching into his power down and in, most left-handers are down and in hitters. Uh, but I understand it. It works sometimes. It doesn't work sometimes. The thing that bothers me the most is the uh, – Extra innings as a relief pitcher, you're coming in. Oh, with a imagine that, Johnny! You're coming in yeah. a runner on second base. It's uh, like that's, not, that's, that's why not the fun. idea, like charging <laughs> this guy with a loss, it's like so ridiculously unfair. Yeah. It's like, well, what yeah. am I supposed to do? I think uh, it's so unfair. Uh, that's not going to fly on the my radar if I was playing. But uh, I think that statistic maybe it should be a team loss and not an individual loss because uh, right away the relief pitcher is at an unfair advantage, uh, and it just drives me crazy when I see that. Uh, especially in that, that part of the game, particularly the, the, the most exciting part about uh, baseball is like the, the extra innings, you know, you, you can go 10, 12, 15 innings. I don't know why they implemented this to speed up the game. Whereas guys are at the, at the ballpark anyway, from two o'clock in the afternoon until 11 o'clock at night. So what's another, what's the difference of another hour, and especially now that majority of the teams and the fans and everybody is vaccinated. Now I don't see any need for it. Okay, you're a guy who played on a team that went to the World Series with the Mets. You see any similarities right now? Your team, 99-2000, what we're seeing with this team so far this year? Absolutely. Uh, I see that the guys, the, the role players coming in, the Villars, the Pilars, the Nitos, the, uh, the Piazza, 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 how do you pronounce his name? Uh, Peraza, close enough. Palazzo. You're playing with Palazzo. Piazza, so I, yeah, I yeah. can see that. There you go. Palazzo. So those those guys right there are doing a tremendous job. And the thing about those guys also, you have to remember, they were once starters in other organizations and other on other teams. So they know how to play every day and how to prepare every day. And they, and they did a great job, the, the, the front office, and filling in that bench role where the bench was really uh, 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 really bad last year, the last couple of years. But the thing, you know, J.J., that's carrying in this team is the pitching. You know, when you have the – And I know you like that, walking, man. That fires you up, I could tell. Yes, it does. And the bullpen is doing a tremendous job this year. So I think the pitching has kept them in a lot of games and ha helped them win a lot of games this year. And the role players who are, who are stepping up now, you know, now that McNeil's in rehabbing and Conforto's rehabbing, it'll be interesting to see uh, when those guys come back how the team plays. It's a good point. Now, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, watching DeGrom doing his thing, and hopefully everything shakes out with his shoulder. 
But, you know, I was thinking about it, John. I don't think I've seen a starter as dominant as Jake going all the way back to Pedro when you had guys like McGuire and Bonds like all roided up hitting 70 home runs and Pedro's this 5'8", 150-something guy throwing 97, 98 and making them look stupid. Is that reasonable to say DeGrom is getting to that sort of Pedro level with the way he's going out and doing his thing every fifth day? Well, I'll tell you what, he's a freak of nature. What he's doing is unbelievable. Uh, I've never seen it playing all those years. I mean, guys prior to that, you know, Tom Seaver used to, to dominate. J.R. Richards used to dominate when he pitched. But uh, DeGrom is at a whole nother level. Uh, you know, this, for instance, like last night, three innings, eight strikeouts and nine batters that he faced. Uh, I'm just hoping that uh, uh, his injury is nothing serious. The flexor tendon that he had issues with, I had a flexor tendon. I tore my flexor tendon. So uh, that could be an injury that, uh, you know, when he's worried about your elbow, it takes away, it takes away from all the other stuff that you're supposed to be doing for your shoulder. And it kind of uh, uh, compensate one for the other. So maybe that's why his shoulders bother him a little bit. And, you know, Throwing at that velocity all these years, sooner or later, it might catch up to you. Maybe this is his body telling him that uh, I'm breaking down a little bit. Let's take a step back and get a little rest. So uh, we'll have to see how it all plans out, how the MRIs come out and how the, the medical field and the front office and Jake uh, uh, get together. You know, Jake is the only one that could have the feel for this. He knows his body the best. And, and we'll hope that uh, today, whatever the report is, I don't know if it came out yet, uh, that uh, whatever the MRI says, it came out clean, and maybe it would put him on the DL for a couple of weeks and get him ready for the second half. They're gonna well, that's him. what I'm thinking, Johnny. You know, where the Mets are at right now, they got a nice lead in the division. They're like up 9 of 10 in the loss come on the Braves. You need this guy if you're going to win a World Series this year. You need him down the stretch. Like, you think giving him a week or two weeks just to kind of take a little bit of a blow could be the best thing for him? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this, I think this is his, his body telling him, Hey man, you know, something's, something's not right here. You know, it was his lat a couple of weeks ago then his elbow last week and now his shoulder. So something's not clicking here. And, and, uh, the best thing to do is just shut it down, take a little rest for a week, 10 days, two weeks, whatever he needs to get him right. Uh, you know, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And uh, they're going to need him in September and October if they get to the playoffs. I was thinking about Diaz the other day, and you know this because when you're pitching in the ninth inning and you're a relief pitcher, when everything's going good, you're the hero. But when things go wrong, Johnny, <laughs> you know, you're on the back page of the paper. I know it's the Zoom world, so Edwin Diaz ain't going to have like 10 zillion reporters in his face shoving microphones saying what happened here, what happened there. Are you surprised, though, with the terrible start he got off to as a Met? Well, I wonder, quite frankly, does he have the right makeup and mentality to handle New York City? I mean, for a guy like you, it wasn't a problem. You grew up here. You know the deal. You know how things yeah. operate. It was still Diaz. tough. It was still yeah, tough. Yeah, it still I, was. Listen, you got you got talk radio killing you. You got the newspaper reporters killing you. That said, though, Diaz now has bounced back and is pitching really good baseball. Did you expect this? Are you surprised? Uh, no, not at all. I, you know, he's a young kid. You know, coming from Seattle where there's maybe one or two newspapers and a, two radio stations, TV stations, whatever that cover, I think this first year maybe put a little bit of extra pressure on himself, uh, maybe gripping the ball too tight. He didn't have that great movement that he, uh, he has. When you throw a 99 to 100 miles an hour and has a, a, a nasty slider like he does, uh, 
we'll give him that hiccup here. You know what? But he's come back. He's bounced back. He has the mentality, I think, to, to be a successful closer here. And he's done a great job in safe situations this year. Non-safe situations is another story. But in safe situations, his intensity, his focus, his pitches have all been there. Was that something that was a problem for you as a guy who closed when you would come into a four or five run game? Did it affect you at all? I, I never liked it because, you know, as, as, a, as a closer, you're in there, you're, you're, you're working uh, almost like a high wire act, right? You're, you're working without a net. Uh, when you have that four or five run lead and you're coming in just to get work, uh, I remember when I was with Cincinnati, I came in and got some work done and I, I wound up taking a line drive off my kneecap. And I was mad because ah, I shouldn't have been in that game, but you still need to work, you know, and you, you try to keep that intensity level. It's hard. Uh, and the mentality that you have to have when you come into that situation is, you know what, it's one nothing and this is a safe situation. That's the, that's the mentality you're going to have to have when you come into that type of game, when you have a five, six, seven run lead and you need to work. So uh, I wasn't a big fan of it, but you do need to, you know, you can't go, you know, a week without pitching. You need to go maybe two or three days without pitching and then get in there. So uh, uh, I wasn't a big fan, but I understand why they do it. I hear this all the time. And Mariano Rivera always used to say it, Johnny, when you would blow a save, you got to turn the page. You got to move on to the next day. But it's human nature, man. I don't, I don't care if you're playing in the major leagues. I don't care if you're playing in Little League. I don't care if I'm at Silver Lake Golf Course. If I screw something <laughs> up, it's, it haunts you, bro. It's in your head. Yeah. So for you, you got to have that mentality. But was there one particular game that you kind of look back on your Met career, your Red career, where it was tougher to get over for you individually yes. than any yes. other game? What was that? Yes. In 1999, I believe it was, we were in Atlanta. I was, uh, it was on my birthday. And I remember Armando Benitez was closing at the time. He got into a little trouble and Bobby had brought me in. Uh, we were up by one or two runs, maybe one run. And I brought me in with first and second and uh, one out. Uh, I struck the next guy out. Wes Helms came up for a pinch hit. And I wound up walking him. And I faced Brian Jordan with bases loaded. Oh, you a, say Brian Jordan. Met fans are groaning already, yeah, Johnny. They're I groaning an, already. I threw him two change-ups that he missed by, by two feet. So I figured I'd try to throw him back him off the plate a little bit and uh, with a fastball and then come back with a change-up. Unfortunately for me, the fastball leaked out over. He wound up hitting a grand slam. And that, that particular game haunts me to this day that uh, I gave up a grand slam on my birthday, but also down the stretch when we, in 1999 when we were you know, fighting for things. But, uh, you know, also as a, as, a, as a relief pitcher, as a closer, I always compare ourselves to a, a field goal kicker. The field goal kicker can make 15, 20 in a row. The one that he blows or misses. That's, that's the, the one everybody's everybody... asking you about. It's so absolutely, true. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's, that's how I always compare uh, us. But uh, you have to, as a, as a closer, you have to have a short-term memory. Turn the page. I remember my old pitching coach in Cincinnati, who was a great pitcher in his day. He's won 15, 16 gold gloves. Jim Cott came up to me one day after I blew a save, put his arm around me and pointed up to the sun. And he said, the sun came up today. Turn the page. And that was the best advice I could ever get from the, uh, 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 Jim Cott, who I think deserves to be in the Hall of Fame and was a great pitching coach the year that I had him in Cincinnati. Then we think about your career. And, Johnny, you know, when I think about your career, there's one game that stands out. San Francisco, Barry <laughs> Bonds up at the plate. I remember I stayed up super late to watch this game. And you know me. I'm a big Yankee fan. But I'm like, Franco's it. Come on. How do you how do you root for Barry Bonds against Johnny Franco? That spot, that situation 
Is that your favorite moment, being on a big league mound? Yeah, one of my favorite moments, obviously being called up to the big leagues by my first year uh, uh, in the big leagues. But uh, that particular moment was very, very high, 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 probably one or two on my list. And I remember facing Barry. Barry and I had the same agent, so we used to, I know Barry really well. He got some hits off of me. I've gotten him out. We've had some great battles. Barry always told me that whenever he hits a home run off of me, he's going to run around the bases backwards. And I always tell him, I don't know how I get you out. You're the greatest player ever, and blah, blah, blah. And I could see him just gripping that bat really hard. And I remember prior to that, the year before, I was talking to John Olrood, who was our first baseman. And John Olrood was a great left-handed hitter. And I always asked Johnny, I said, what's the toughest pitch for you to hit against a lefty? And he told me a changeup because the lefties never throw it to a lefty. And at that particular time, when we were facing – the Giants, and I was facing Barry Bonds, and he fouled back a 2-2 pitch that if he would have hit it, he would have hit to Oakland. And I said, I'm not going to throw that pitch again. So I wound up going 3-2, and two, and I remember Piazza put fastball down. I kept shaking him off, shaking him off, shaking him off, finally put the changeup down. And I've never thrown Barry a changeup out of all the years I faced him. It was either fastball, cutters, or sliders. And it's just something in me just said, you know what, I'm going to throw him a changeup here. And fortunate for me, I got him on the changeup. To this day, I still think it was a strike. Barry thinks it's a ball. He always tells me it was a ball. And I said, what the umpire call it? It's a strike. It's a strike. But pro- two days after that, I struck him out on a high fastball in another situation here, here at Shea Stadium. So that was really high on my career, uh, uh, striking Barry in that situation. How's the cooking going, by the way? Last time we had a conversation, <laughs> it was during COVID. Nobody was going anywhere. Are you still now like Bobby Flay in the kitchen? Yeah, I'm still cooking. Uh, I made a nice salmon last night. Nice. Cooking. There you go. What we saute it with? What was the uh, I, I, what was the mojo? It's very simple, JJ. You put a little oil. You, you put a little oil in uh, aluminum. You chop up, dice up some garlic. You dice up some uh, some dill, and salt and pepper. Put it in the oven at 400 degrees, and within 20 minutes to 30 minutes, whatever the way you like it, it comes out. You get that nice garlic smell and that nice dill smell. It's an excellent dish. Very healthy for you too. Tonight, I I'm like the sound of that. By the way, there's salmon in the fridge tonight. That might be yeah. dinner. I might use the Franco recipe and let yeah. you know how it goes. I'm doing a little Mexican tonight, a little uh, chopped up chicken with a, a, a sweet potato, uh, not sweet potatoes, uh, sauteed uh, peppers and some onions. Mix it all together. It's either that or sauces and peppers. I figure this is a little bit more healthier. Hey, I like the sound of that. And before we let you go here, Johnny, I'm putting you on the spot. New York City or New York City boy through and through. One slice of pizza. John Franco has one slice of pizza to eat. He's got to pick any pizzeria in the five boroughs. What's the uh, spot? I'm telling you, it's just so hot. I love pizza, but I love Joe and Pat's on Staten Island. Oh, okay. Okay. Joe and Pat's are good. Uh, 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 L&B, Spumoni Gardens are good. I mean, I could, you want me to name all five? I, I was going to say, five. those are two of my I, favorites, so Street, I'm not you surprised. Gotta, you go to uh, Prince Street Pizza here in Manhattan with the, 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 with the pepperoni on top is excellent, too. Uh, Joe's Pizza, uh, 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 L&B, I said, the Lenny's on Avenue U, Chicho's on a- a- Avenue, which is my wife's cousin's place. Uh, all the places are very, very good. Uh, I try to stay out of them not uh, as much as I can because one slice isn't going to do it. Maybe three or four will help me out. But Joe and Pat's are probably one of my favorite out on the island. Danino's is very good, too. Get that Danino's more pie, Danino's. Absolutely, yes, bro. Yes, That's yes. the move. Now you're making me hungry. Thanks so much <laughs> for doing this. And 
I, I better see you on the golf course at some point this summer, Johnny. I hope you're hitting bombs. I know you're hitting yeah. bombs. I've been playing a little guy. My son, JJ, just started taking it up about a year and a half. Ago. Oh, that means he's going to see. That's not fair. You guys who are legitimate athletes make this the switch yeah. and a transition yeah. from golf. JJ's got to be hitting bombs like Mickelson, basically. Yeah, JJ hits bombs. My handicap is ponds and sand traps. So, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love the sound of that. Not really, yeah. but I do. Johnny, you're the best, man. Thanks for All doing right, this. JJ, right? hey, good luck to you, man. Continue success. Coming up, we will set the stage for what's going to be a juicy weekend. A lot of beaks to be had. Jared Smith, he'll handicap the U.S. Open and some NBA with me. That's up next. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It is going to be a loaded sports weekend. It's right up my alley. A couple of big game sixes on Friday night. Saturday night, you got a game seven with the Bucks and the Nets. You got the hockey playoffs. And oh, by the way, the U.S. Open is cooking at Torrey Pines and my goodness, I would not want to be a golfer playing this tournament over the next couple of days. Torrey Pines, pretty coarse, very scenic, but it's going to eat you alive. Ain't that right? Our handicapper extraordinaire, my main man, the great Jared Smith. What up, Smitty? Oh, JJ, I felt like we did the other day on Staten Island. Kind I was going to say, Smitty, out there in we the were hacking it off. Could you imagine what the two of us would have been doing if we were at Torrey Pines today? Oh, Holy at least boy. 140, right? Maybe, maybe we get in at the turn in like the low 60s. You know, and then we do like an 18, what they would do for 18, what we would do at nine, maybe. <laughs> I think that's pretty accurate. I think that's pretty fair. So now that we have a day in the books, if there's a big takeaway for you, for me, it's the idea that Kepka played as well as yeah. he did. And I know he plays great in the majors. I know he's money in the majors. But you saw him hobbling around earlier in the week. And I'm like, oh, boy, how is he going to hold up over four days? That still remains to be seen. But if I had money on Kepka to win this tournament after day one, I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, and again, it's early. And, we, you know, we were talking about before we came on, you know, he had an early tee time, you know, it got pushed back. And then he's going to have another, you know, relatively early tee time tomorrow. So we'll see if he can kind of hold up over the four rounds. And I think that's going to be the key for me. And, and I don't know. And, and I think you just have to play that as it goes. I will say this, Xander Shoffley, local kid, Torrey Pines is like his home course. He played really well. I think another surprise for me, two surprises, actually. I thought Hideki Matsuyama played a lot better. He was kind of in that post-Masters funk. He was two under today. Also, Terrell Hatton, who leads the field right now in strokes gain, Tita Green, he was in red numbers. That's another guy that's kind of been hovering around the top of these leaderboards, but has never really pushed through in a major. So those are two guys that maybe came from a little bit off the beaten path that maybe showed you something today. John Rahm is still right there. He's currently the favorite. He will be the favorite tomorrow. Uh, and Bryson DeChambeau, nice birdie to finish his day. Uh, I don't love this course set up for him, but still, you know, a, a nice positive thing to go into the clubhouse today. He'll come out early tomorrow. We'll see what he can do. So uh, the cut line is going to go back and back. We were thinking four, maybe it's going to be five. If there's carnage tomorrow, could be six. But there's a lot of good golfers that are going to be hanging around the field this weekend. Would you say after one day, your thoughts going into this tournament were drastically altered or not in the least? <laughs> I would say it's 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 as hard as I expected it to be. 
I expected a little more from Morikawa today. He was, especially putting-wise. Well, we were the putting about kills him. him so yeah, he absolutely kills him. him. His game is so smooth. It's yeah. so crisp. When he gets on the green, he's just... That's why I didn't want to give him out to win this tournament. And yeah. I know you gave out Morikawa over speed. I like that play. I think it will be a winner. But my fear always with Morikawa is he gets on the green and just way too many bad putts. I, I, I agree. And he certainly showed that today. He's going to have to be better tomorrow. How about uh, Matthew Wolf? Uh, came for, I think he took what a, a two-month break. Huh? What yeah, a weird day, Yeah, all over the place. We have nine birdies. I mean, it was it was one of those days where he was very volatile. But 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 again, when you get to this level of golf, I, I think there's five or ten guys that really can win this tournament. Maybe there's 15. And, and the rest of these guys are just kind of scraping around. And I, I would say Rom, Kepka, those are the usual suspects, Sanders, Shoffley. And I would throw Matsuyama's name up there if he's shaking off that post-Masters funk. After 18 holes, they are very much in the mix. It's going to be very difficult to come from the back of the pack and win this tournament, JJ. You've got to put together four, you know, workmanlike rounds to really, you know, you know, pull together a win at what's going to be a very difficult course setup this weekend. Now, as we look at the three ball and we look at the matchups for Friday, and mm. that's kind of the way I like to do this, Smitty. You know, I'll take one or two guys, root for them over a couple of days. But to me, the money is made or lost on what you do day in and day out. Do you have a matchup that you have circled immediately that you're going to be all over for tomorrow or today, well, whatever it, the case may be? There's an interesting one. There, there's a couple ones. So, you know, it, it's a, it's very late tea time, which is also, you know, makes it. It's right up our alley. We like these late tea times. It's good for <laughs> Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Uh, so you're going to get a chance to wake up tomorrow. It's not like a normal major at Augusta where eight, nine in the morning, Eastern time, these guys are going at it. They're really not going to start the round. Some of the later, some of the guys that teed off earlier today are not going to tee off till later tomorrow. Couple guys are interesting. Kepka, JT, Kamor, Kala. That's going to be a, a four o'clock Eastern matchup. Kepka right now, plus 135. I'm seeing on Fandle, JT plus 185. That's interesting. And we mentioned Xander Shoffley. He's in a group with Phil Mickelson and Max Homa. Uh, and he's only laying minus 130 there in three ball. Uh, that's not a bad price for Xander. Again, I, I think he's the guy that's really the grinder out there in the field this week. I think Kepka is in that category too. But Xander Shoffley certainly is a guy that's going to outplay Mickelson and he's going to outplay Homa most rounds. And, you know, you're only laying 30 cents there. So that's one that certainly stands out to me. Not a lot of other lines are out right now. I'm going through Fando right now. Uh, you know, they're still, uh, you know, we're taping this here uh, night before. So just want to make sure, you know, we don't give out any any numbers that change on anybody. Uh, but Xander Shoffley certainly stands out to me in the three balls. Well, and I like Xander. Heads up. I'm seeing it against Kepka at even money. And oh, I yeah. know Kepka played great, but you're asking him to go and do that again. Xander knows this cost very, very well. Yes. Now, Xander on Sunday, I'm going to be a little leery, Smitty, because I got to see him do it in a yep. major. I got to see him deliver when it matters the most. But Xander on Friday, I like those odds against Kepka. I, I'll be all over that tomorrow at even money. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll be honest. This is setting up, and, you know, you've got some guys that are some veteran guys. I was actually surprised, and I think he's still out on the course, or maybe maybe they suspended for darkness. I don't know. Uh, Ustase in Fuender today was, Wait, was really a pretty well. big surprise. Really well. Uh, Molinari, too. I remember he won uh, a British Open a few years ago. Similar conditions, links course uh, overseas, but it was very long and flat. And, you know, I, I think Molinari is a guy, too, that when he's when he's striking the ball well, he has that kind of, you know, that swag that can stay near the top of the leaderboard. But it, it's tough 
to, to maintain these scores over four rounds. So I look at a guy like today, Russell Henley, who's probably going to be the leader after the first round. I, I would not expect a guy like that to be able to contend on Sunday. Again, you've got four or five guys right now in red numbers. Rom's number, Rom's name certainly stands out. We haven't talked a lot about him, you know, but I, I think he's pretty a guy crazy too. considering he's the favorite too, you know, and, and the situation, you know, I think we, we, it was either going back and forth about it. Or I was going back and forth about it with one of my other golf buddies. He's a guy that, you know, on any given week, I mean, goodness gracious, you're going to get him at a price that you're not going to want to bet on, but you're still getting, you're getting 10 to one. And I know it's a major, but that's a, you know, usually he's six, seven, eight to one at most of the tournaments that he's in, especially the lower tournaments. So you're still getting a decent price on a guy, but the uncertainty there, I, I couldn't touch it this week because of what happened with COVID. And again, Matthew Wolf, Hatton, Fitzpatrick, some of these really good ball strikers that kind of came from out of nowhere today, all in red numbers. I'll be interested to see if they can continue it in round two. Who's your pick to win the tournament? Uh, I, I hate picking majors. It's yeah, so tough. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's a so dog tough. Let's I, I, it's a Xander, I, I would say where, where the price and the handicap meet, it would be Xander. Just because, and I know he hasn't done it yet, but you know, you're getting, I think, 20 to one somewhere in that range. And he was a guy that was basically his home course. And he's, I mean, who's the best golfer not to win a major yet in his career right now? I, I, I is, is it him? I, I don't know. Yeah, he's I, right there. Ron's yeah, right there. I, absolutely. So I, I think, you know, that's a guy that I could certainly see breaking through. The narrative fits, and, and I think the number was right. But man, oh man, if John Rahm or Brooks Kepka or Bryson DeChambeau, if they're near the top of the leaderboard on Sunday, these are guys that have that experience, that that know what it takes to win, you know, at major championships. Those are the guys that I want to put my money on. Smitty, I got to be honest. I forgot what it felt like to win an NBA bet. It's been a while, dude. <laughs> Thankfully, the Bucs took care of business for me in game six. Um, we'll get to game seven coming up in a little bit. But as we have two game sixes now on Friday night, very fascinating spots. Mm. Philly, how they respond after the debacle against the Atlanta Hawks. First and foremost, Smitty, are you surprised when this line came out? Philadelphia, after yucking up a 20-plus point lead, embarrassing themselves in the fourth quarter, will still be road favorites against the Atlanta Hawks. That's the NBA playoffs, JJ. And, and you know, we saw it tonight with Brooke. And, you know, how crazy has the back and forth been in these playoffs? When you think you're out of a series, that is the best time to buy in on a team because the swings and the comebacks and the live betting opportunities, the live in-series opportunities to kind of zigzag it around, it's been unbelievable. I think if you like Philly tomorrow, I, I think you just bet them to win the series. Uh, you know, I like I, to, to me, that's they always win the best tomorrow, strategy. They're winning this series. I think that's I agree. great logic. I think it's yeah. great logic. I would take them and, right and now with plus money to win the series. 100%. Absolutely. And I'm seeing right now on FanDuel, it's plus 136. So, you know, you're going to lay what? Minus 140 tomorrow on a money line. If you want to lay the spread two and a half, you know, you're laying 10, 15 cents, whatever. Why don't you just take the plus money? They win the game and it's going to be a minus money, money line in game seven. If this is a game it's going to be higher than a five to a six point. Favorite. Absolutely. Like and then you, five. and then you come back on Atlanta plus one fifty. you get both sides of plus money. And then you don't have to deal with that crazy 15 point swings. And I did that with the jazz game the other night. Uh, you know, one of the books was a little slow to move the jazz number after Kawhi's injury. And I got the jazz at minus three. They moved it to minus seven. I was like, I'm done. Like I, I, I sold, I, I made, you know, 20, 30% of my bet. 
you know, they let you cash out these bets because it's it's so tough to time when these teams are going to actually show up and the swings are just so volatile. I, I think you ring the cash register when you can. In this case, if you can get the Sixers on the plus money to win the series, they win tomorrow night. You're going to get plus money on the Hawks in, in game seven. I think you just take that and you just move on with your life. And, you know, you ring. It's small games. You're not going to get rich doing that. But a winning day is a winning day. We always take winning days. And Absolutely. Utah and the Clippers has been impossible to figure out. That line <laughs> got way overjuiced the other night. But I locked it in after we did New York, New York with Utah yeah. minus two and a half. I thought I was a genius. I thought I was sharper and smarter than a whole lot of other folks out there. And I, I see Reggie Jackson and Paul George and the Clippers B squad lighting me up in the process. Do you get the sense, Smitty, this will be a public side for Utah? Or do you think that the narrative shifting a little bit is going to have this more of a split type of deal? I don't like the Clippers in these spots now where they have expectations. And that's exactly what happened after game five. Now, all of a sudden, the Clippers have expectations that they're going to win. And what do we usually say when teams lose their star player? The first game, they get by. The Ewing theory, baby. Yeah. And then then the long haul, it kind of evens out. So... I, I think I would lean Utah and, and I, you know, we're seeing all the money come in in Utah. The tickets are pretty split again, you know, taping this Thursday night, obviously, you know, the ticket count, the money count could change day of NBA. That's when the handle usually comes in, but man, oh man, this is a fascinating. I mean, I, I, honestly, credit the NBA as bad as teams are holding leads. They have given us a ton of drama with these back and forth in these series. I would lean Utah because I agree with your theory that I'll trust the Clippers and, I'll, and we'll, you know, we'll sprinkle on the, yeah, over time, you would imagine Kawhi's, you know, absence is going to kind of take its toll on this offense. But man, oh man, Clippers at home with an emergence of Reggie Jackson, who is starting to become that guy. A great eye and eagle call the other night. Mr. June loved it. Uh, you know, Reggie Jackson, we certainly know him dear and, you know, near and dear in our hearts in New York, different guy, different situation, but he is stepping up for the Clippers. I could see him taking over that game, but man, I, why not? Why don't we get three game sevens, JJ? Nets, Bucks, Sixers, Hawks, Jazz, Clips. All, all, all three go to game seven. Why not? I like the sound of that. Before we say goodbye, we don't have an official line yet. You mm-hmm. don't, I don't, on Nets, Bucks, game seven. Let's guess the line, Smitty. I mean, it is the Bill Simmons ringer, so we might as well <laughs> take a page out of he and Sal's playbook and do so for the NBA. I'm going to say Brooklyn's favored by five points on Saturday night. Five yeah. points. I, I mean, I, I I don't know. I feel like after tonight and Harden didn't look great. I, I'll go a little, sh- I'll go a little shorter. I, I'll, I'll go four. I'll do the prices right on you. Just because I, I think maybe, you know, Milwaukee gets a little bit of the benefit of the doubt for how, for how good they played tonight and a little bit, you know, James Harden, maybe injury. So maybe four. And if it moves off of that quickly towards Brooklyn, then you certainly know the Nets are the sharper side quickly. Um, and, and it's going to be a fun game seven. That's for sure. At, at least we have competitive series in this round. That's certainly uh, a positive in the NBA playoffs, despite all the injuries. Smitty, fabulous job, bro. Good luck on all the golf Thank peaks you. this weekend. And I will see you on the course <laughs> sooner rather than later. We will be in touch, my friend. Good luck. They have it. That's our pal, handicapper extraordinaire, Jared Smith. Now we set the stage for what you have coming up this weekend. First of all, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. I know there are plenty that listen to New York, New York. So if you're celebrating your first Father's Day, your 50th Father's Day, my dad out there, all the fathers in the world, happy Father's Day. So I'm glad that I got that out of the way. Otherwise, I would have forgot. So Father's Day weekend means you got a whole lot of games on the agenda. 
We got two game sixes on Friday night, and I'm going back to the well here. I'm going back to the well. I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker. Philly, Utah. There will be three game sevens in the NBA second round. We already know there's going to be one on Saturday night with Milwaukee and with Brooklyn. But I am taking Philly, and I am taking the Utah Jazz. And when they both burn me again, we will make a reminder, and it will be on the list, and we will never take them again. How do you like that? As far as the baseball we have coming up this weekend, Yankees, the idea is to keep winning series, to get hot. Not to stay hot, to get hot. This was a major, major statement against the Toronto Blue Jays, considering how Toronto has owned them. Yankees haven't been great in these spots, winning the third game. Now you got Oakland coming to town. Packed house at Yankee Stadium. What I don't like about this weekend for the Yankees, the pitching, in the sense that it's Tyon right out of the gate. Herman, who has not been great his last couple of starts. Same for Joe Montgomery. You got to get Herman and Montgomery going once again to have that pecking order behind Garrett Cole because you're still waiting on Kuber. You're still waiting on Seve. Garcia is a total mess in the minor leagues. This is the Yankee rotation for the time being. Good news is the bullpen is looking mighty, mighty fine. Mets, ton of games with the Nationals this week. Ton of games because these are some of the makeups that they had from that first series being canceled. The Mets should continue to go to work against a bad team. You're not facing Scherzer in this series. You got to love the fact that you're not facing Scherzer. Go win a bunch of games here. That's the goal for the Mets. Go and get fat. Continue to grow that lead in the division and take it from there. So all that and the Islanders, it's must-win time for the Islanders. The Islanders cannot win this series if they lose on Saturday night. They are not winning three straight games against this Tampa team. They're too explosive. They're too talented. They're too battle-tested. They're too flat-out good. You're not winning this series with the loss on Saturday night. You could document this audio. You could save it. You could do whatever the hell you want. The Islanders lose on Saturday. Their season's coming to a close. Must win. As far as I see it. Must win. So before we say goodbye and send you on your way, Jeff Money, who's a lot hotter than me these days, it's good to be money. What's happening, bro? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper pick. It's going to be for Friday the 18th. I'm going to take both NBA games. My first one is a money play game. I'm going to take the Clippers plus the two over the Jazz. I like the way they played the last game, you know, without Leonard. And how can you not go? And you got to go with them for the home advantage there. Game number two, there's no way I'm taking those 76ers after that debacle. So I'm taking the Hawks at home plus the three. The crowd's going to be crazy there. So we're going to roll with the two uh, home underdogs. All right, JJ, it's going to be the Clippers, my money play plus the two. And the Hawks plus the three. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Well, this is going to be a really good Friday night for Jeff Money, or it's going to be a really good Friday night for yours truly, considering we are heads up in both of these NBA matchups. And as far as the line is concerned, which line do I feel better about? Philadelphia. Because it went from one and a half to three, and you basically have split action on the tickets. So I feel better about Philly, which is probably an asinine statement to make, but... I'm living life dangerously these days, folks. What can I tell you? Happy Father's Day. I hope everybody enjoys their weekend. We are back Saturday night live right after Nets, Bucks, Game 7. 
around 11, 15, 11.30, give or take. Spotify Green Room. if you call the show and you leave voicemails, we're taking live calls, get in on the action, Spotify Green Room, late night, have a cocktail, have a laugh, we'll be rocking in, and then on Sunday, we start another week in New York, New York. Time flies when you're having fun. Ryan Rucco. Nets, Yankees, ESPN extraordinaire going to check in. And we'll either be looking forward to Brooklyn getting ready for the Eastern Conference Finals or Brooklyn licking their wounds after losing this second round series to Milwaukee. So we'll see the mood of the uh, five net fans who are out there. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. On that note, JJ out. Be good, everybody.